Hello, this is Impact Ed, and I'm H.D. Chambers with A. Leaf ISD. Uh, we are grateful for those of you listening to this episode because uh, we are going to dive into uh, a topic that's been around forever, and that's the, uh, the art and the science of reading. But it also, in the last couple of weeks, has become extremely uh, controversial, for lack of a better word. And it's not that reading is controversial. It is, you know, what does, uh, what does the state of Texas and how does Texas define reading? And how do we identify students who are reading on grade level? And, and, and how does that impact teachers and principals and parents and schools and school districts? So I am uh, very fortunate, very fortunate in my role as the superintendent of this district uh, to have individuals that are extremely respected and very, very well-versed in their craft and their content. And today we're going to talk to three of those ladies who uh, whose jobs in their lives have been to make sure little boys, little girls learn how to read. And as they get older, that they continue to, to grow and, and learn to read. And today's conversation is going to be about that. And it's also going to be about how do we know it when they're reading? You know, how do we judge uh, when I say we? How does the school know? How does the teacher know? How does the state of Texas know? How do we know uh, at what level is appropriate for a child to read? Because right now there's a big controversy and a conflict between what experts in the field of reading believe versus what others. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that, what others believe. Uh, so with that, we have uh, we have three individuals. We have two ladies who deal mostly with elementary age children as it relates to reading and uh, in, in communicating. And we have a, a lady who deals with our secondary age kids, our high school kids, as we continue the, the that through their, their middle school and high school years. So uh, I'm going to first ask Karen Flavin to introduce herself and a little bit what she does. And then we'll go to Michelle Patterson and then Joanne Williams at the at the last. And then we'll get into the topic. So, Karen. Thanks, Mr. Chambers. Um, as he indicated, my name is Karen Flavin. I'm the primary language arts coordinator uh, for the Aleaf School District. Um, my role really is to help support all early childhood programs, and specifically the teachers and kids in grades 1, 2, and 3. I am Michelle Patterson. I'm the elementary language arts coordinator. I'm Karen's partner. Mm-hmm. And um, together, we start the kids off learning how to read and then from then, learning how to comprehend what they read. Um, I have been in the education world for 20 years and in ALE for 15. Thank you, guys. And Joanne? Hi, I'm Joanne Williams, and I appreciate the opportunity to come here today and talk about reading and literacy. I'm in my 31st year in the field of education, and 28 of those have been with ALEAF ISD. Thank you. And and just so you know, Joanne is responsible for overseeing the the reading programs and the literacy as it relates to our older kids. And so you've got the full spectrum from the time they're little bitty guys to, to getting them to, to graduate. So I want to start this and, and just basically make a comment and then ask you guys to react to it. The way in which our society identifies good readers, like people who can read and comprehend, as you mentioned, Michelle, the way in which our society has become addicted to identifying that is through tests. Is that? Your, That's correct. Is that correct? So in Texas, we have, it's called the STAR test. Um, and it's it's been around for almost seven or oh, eight years, I guess. And But there are other assessments that are used that, that also measure reading levels and what we, you know, where students are reading. If, if you guys don't mind, I'd like for you to just take a little time, each individual, individually, and just talk about what your experience is and what you see with assessing a child 
through a test to make determinations to whether they're reading or not. What is your professional opinion on using that using a test, whether it's STAR or any other test for that matter, to make determinations as to, as to reading levels of, of kids? And I, Karen, since you start with the youngest of the young, maybe talk a little bit about that. And then Michelle and Joanne, I'd, I'd like you guys to chime in. And y'all can just chime in as a part of the conversation. Great. Thank you. Um, when you're thinking about little kids and, and learning to read, um, it is a shame that in one day when they're eight years old, they have to take a test. They've been on the planet 96 months. It's not very long. And on that one day, they are determined to be on grade level or above or below. And that's um, and, and unfortunate because it's really an exact – it's a, one measure for one day. Um, I work a lot with learning – with teaching kids how to be, begin to read from the very beginning. And we have you know, we've got the theory from Vygotsky. He's been around for almost like 80 years. His theory of, of looking at what he calls a zone of proximal development – which means that readers fall in either what they call an independent reading level where they can do it completely on their own, or there's another level called the instructional level, which is where with some guidance and and help from a skilled teacher, you can really elevate. That's where teachers can come in and just nudge kids skill by skill to raise their reading level. And then you have the third level, which is called frustration level. And that is when that text is just beyond either complexity of sentence length or complexity of ideas. So we try and hit that sweet spot, that instructional level where kids can, you take them where they are, and by skilled reading instruction, we can nudge them up the ladder. So you said, who was the, these three levels of? Vygotsky. 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 Oh, Vygotsky. Vygotsky. Okay. Like, like back in 1920, we've known about this for a long time, and that ZPD is very familiar for all of those who are in reading, and it also translates right into sort of the, the Lexile discussion, which I think we'll get into a little later. Okay. Michelle? As Karen said, though, the independent level, the instructional level, and the frustration level, there are times when children should be in either one of, of the right. three. right. Their independent reading level, they should be able to do that on their own with um, very uh, much a, a, a lot of ease. Yeah. Instructionally, teachers need to push kids to within their zone of marginal proximity. Which means, I'm assuming that means that's their zone of comprehend, the ability Correct. to comprehend. Correct. It still is about 90% accuracy, but they have enough fluency that they can be able to get to the okay. ideas right. as the comprehension. Right. Exactly. And then and there are lots of theories and research about the frustration level. That is appropriate, but at a certain time with the teacher's guidance. So we're going to go into a piece of text that's highly complex. And so there are different uh, scaffolding routines that need to happen at, when children are reading much more difficult pieces of text. In y'all's opinion, should a eight-year-old or nine-year-old, it doesn't matter whatever grade they are, should they, if you're testing them at a level that's frustration level, without any help, without any teacher assistance, I mean, it, it sounds like they're going to they're gonna struggle. They're going to struggle. And then the next thing that we need to look at is age appropriateness and grade level appropriateness. There's research to show that at a certain grade level, here is where you should be. And if we're testing kids, I think that is that is the zone that right. we should be testing them in, not at their frustration level where they can't get assistance and to chew through the, the, the yeah. hard hardness and the difficulty of the text. Yeah, and I think I think a multiple choice test is certainly one way or one measure to evaluate where, where a student is reading, but it certainly is only one because what we're essentially doing is is trying to get a measure uh, uh, for 
a reading level um, that we teach uh, in more or less authentic ways. We're, we're giving them an inauthentic measure uh, to measure reading through a multiple choice. And um, one of the things we all know about multiple choice tests is they design them with distractors yeah. in the answer choices. And, you know, distractors are meant to distract. Right. And so to some degree, we have to, um, if we're if we're looking out for the best interests of our kids, there has to be some degree of how to take apart a test and how to uh, identify distractors because, in a way, I guess you, for lack of a better word, you could say they're kind of tricky or maybe they're trying to trick yeah, yeah, <laughs> students. Exactly. So, you know, and I mean, it's a very inauthentic way um, to measure reading, the reading level. I, I, mean, I'm, I mean, we've all, we've all been tested. We've all sure. taken tests. Mm-hmm. You know, we've all taken tests that we're not either prepared for or the content is just so hard for us. I mean, there's a million different reasons to be frustrated. But is is as you're, as we prepare children, as we, as as teachers, as educators. So today in our district, today as we sit here right now, there are teachers working with children of all ages in reading. Absolutely. Where where are they teaching? What level are they teaching them at? Are they teaching them at the independent level, the instructional level, the frustration level? Well, I think that uh, we. That's kind of where this Lexile comes in. We try to spend a lot of time giving students opportunities to read text that they can read and they want to read because reading is a skill. And just like any other skill, it takes practice to get better. We wouldn't, you can compare it to basketball, Mm -hmm. okay? It takes time and it takes practice, and that's the same thing um, with reading. So a lot of the time is spent letting them choose their books and practice that fluency and that comp- those comprehension skills. And then we also need to balance that with text that's perhaps at their instructional level and that we show them how we can take those skills and we can break them down and slow them down to take apart a, a reading that's harder to understand. And I think when uh, kids are presented with more complex text, um, if, if we could take the instructional practice of close reading, which means that you're going to read this this piece of text, maybe for the first of all, let's just get the big big idea of what's going on in this piece of text. Then on the second read, you'll say, well, this time I want you to look for I want you to look at how the author is laying out his his argument here. So you can go back and read things again and again. I'm thinking on complex text passages in a test. Would if the kids could go through multiple reads with some scaffolding questions, they may be able to score far better than just a cold read. Remember, these kids are you know eight or nine years old. They do not have the developmental. I mean, development. Their brains are just not quite there yet. I mean, they're children. It takes a while for them to understand the nuances of language. And we have to remember that many of our students are coming in with language deficits. And so we're, we're asking them to not only read and comprehend, but to analyze at very high levels. And the, go ahead, Michelle. And so coming back to that complexity argument, um, there are many things that make a text complex. And so uh, things like uh, background knowledge, um, the purpose of reading, the desired goal, why are you reading this piece of text? Mm-hmm. That affects... Um, how kids will be able to comprehend. So if I am a, a student taking a test um, and the, the, one of the passages or most of the passages are on topics that are obscure or I have no background in, I am not going to do very well on the, yeah. those kinds of testing. So um, 
complex text. It has its place in instruction, but there's lots of scaffolding that's needed for kids to be successful. It's very complex. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> I've, I've joked. I mean, I've been in education 34 years, and, you know, if, if you were to boil down what we're all trying to do is we're trying to just educate students so they can be effective and successful Correct. as they leave us. And reading Correct. is a, you can't take another course without having the core foundation of reading. In the last couple of months, several months where this issue has kind of come up about what are the appropriate reading levels? What are the appropriate testing levels? I mean, they all come in, and at least in Texas, you've got, you've got a curriculum, which is kind of what's written down. You've got a teaching pedagogies that we, which is kind of how you teach it. So you got yes. what's written, then you got what you teach. Then you test it, and we've got the testing, which we're going to get to in just a second. And then you add a layer of complexity on top of that. We use it for accountability. We label. That's we, correct. We label children. We label students. We label teachers. We label schools, and we label districts. That's correct. And and I'm here, and I know people are going to be listening to this. Uh, there's going to be a lot of educators listening to this. And um, my, my, pers- my reason for bringing this up and for some other actions I've taken is not to, this is not putting star on trial. This is, this is not, it's not, it's not putting accountability on trial. It's actually asking and expecting an honest, truthful answer to the question at each grade level, because we put so much pressure on our testing system at each grade level, are we actually measuring for grade level reading or are we asking students to perform at a much more complex level than their grade level, that a child at that grade level we would typically expect, fully acknowledging there are some outliers. There are some students who can, who can handle some of that complexity, just like there are students who, can, who, can, uh, who develop much quicker in a lot of different areas. So, uh, so I, think, I think for anyone listening to this, I think they, under, they need to understand that all four of us, this, this is not a yeah, is it a criticism? Yeah, is is it? It's it's as much questioning on my part and asking questions as it is being critical. Because, but the more questions I ask and the more answers I get, the more I tend to be critical. <laughs> because of the and answers. I think we're just asking questions and trying to get clarity as well, so that we can, um, you know, advise our, our departments yeah, as well. Right by kids. Are the, are the, okay, y'all are professional. This is your area of expertise. You've been doing it a long time. Um. Is, is, are the questions being asked now fair questions? Is, is the, is, are these types of questions questioning the grade level appropriateness and are we actually measuring the independent level versus something that we shouldn't be expecting most kids to do at a certain grade? Is that a fair question in y'all's opinion? It is. It is. And I think um, we have to not only look at the questions that we're asking kids, uh, to answer, but we have to look at the literature that we're putting in front of students to be, have to read to be able to answer those questions. So, you know, we know that when we get our our test results back, that um, t- the agency is giving us information on st- students reading below, on, or in fact, multiple years above grade level. And so that just begs the question, how do we get an above grade level measure uh, on the test if we're not giving them above grade level material. Right. So we're just, we really are trying to... Um, so there's a misalignment. I mean, by this very nature, if we're testing kids at a level that we're not teaching them at... I think the focal question is, why are we testing? What is the test 
trying to prove? Are we trying to see if kids are performing at the grade level that it's in that it's in, is that the intent? Mm-hmm. Um, or are we trying to see if they're ready for college? Or are we trying to see if they master the grade level standards? Correct. And those are all three different. A little bit different. Questions, bit. right? Yes. Absolutely. And it's not that we're afraid of assessment because an assessment informs teaching that lets you know as a teacher, okay, this is what I, these are the, the areas I need to go back and reteach because my kids have some confusion yeah. here. But we do that ongoing on a daily basis. If you're paying attention to what your kids are doing, then you can go back and see that, okay, little Karen over here, I have to help her go back and really rethink this because she's missing the, she's missing the big ideas. She got all hung up on the details. So it's just teachers – Conscientious reading teachers are always looking and monitoring and adjusting and seeing what it is that this individual student needs. And and sure, sure. And while we certainly do not teach to any particular test, we do study the assessment so that mm-hmm. uh, we use that information to inform and uh, and to uh, make decisions about our curriculum and our and our practices. So we we are looking at what the end goal is, and we have to clearly understand what the goal is in order to be able to uh, advise, inform, and, and develop the curriculum in our district. Are, are we really not teaching to a test? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Are, I mean, it, if I mean, I was in the classroom. I as I was preparing I think for an exam. That's become the new normal. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. But I think in a leaf we do um, our first and foremost goal is to teach the standards. The test is supposed to be testing the standards. At the grade level. At the grade level. Oh, that's what we've been told. Um, And we're questioning whether the test questions are at grade level. Correct. That's correct. Correct. And so, um, again, coming back to the approaches, meets, and masters labels, I think... Those labels in itself or in themselves are okay. Um, for if you're talking about masters, that's the highest level of um, of the test scores. That should be indicative of students who have mastered beyond grade level, and so are advanced and should be labeled as such. I agree with that piece. The meets level. It sh- they should be meeting grade-level standards. Mm-hmm. And then if you're approaching, you're close to, but not quite there. Right. The part that breaks down is we feel like students who are in the approaches or the meets levels are not giving, given their due as far as performance is concerned. Um, if you are meets, you should be getting... That should be what the, the what the state is all about. Right, right. The test, the state testing is all about, and then the master should be like your um, advanced kids, or it's showing you that they're on a trajectory to go to college, or but it shouldn't be. Shouldn't be the standard. It shouldn't be the standard. Yeah, for yeah, it's, it's like I said earlier. There, there's going to be outliers in everything. We can't. You can't take for my generation. It was Michael Jordan. This generation, maybe LeBron, or but but you can't take Michael Jordan and say, okay, our standard for determining whether you're a great basketball player is if you're as good as Michael Jordan, because Michael Jordan was an outlier. Right. Well, it's the same way. You've got kids who score perfect scores on the SAT. Sure, that's correct. We don't expect, in order to be considered a successful to take to be successful on SAT, that you have to score perfect just because somebody did. Right. And if I'm hearing you guys correctly, that's kind of what we're 
that's where Texas seems to be right now is identifying where that outlier performs and saying, if we, the should rest, we, yeah, we should so all get there. We should all get there. The rest of you guys don't get there. No, it's not even if you don't get there. It's if you're not there right now. Right now. That's correct. Then you're considered. And I think there's a little confusion on what that actually means because correct. we know from looking at the raw conversion scores that there could be, you know, a ninth grader reading at uh, a college level and, and they are assigned a, a, math, a, a meets mm-hmm. uh, label. Standard, so yeah. there's some confusion around that. Yeah, those performance level descriptors as well. I, I, it fascinates me that, um, as a as someone who doesn't really hasn't spent a lot of time talking about this topic <laughs> ever ever. <laughs> how how the the world of reading is kind of compartmentalized. Yes. It is. <laughs> it's unfortunate because it is the it is the linchpin that holds everything else together. together. I mean, yeah. every the math test is a reading test of mathematical ability. The science test is a reading test of science content. Mm-hmm. And if you are missing sort of those basic fundamental pieces, then, you know, the test favors those who can actually read it pro, with, pro, with great yeah. proficiency. Right. And, um, you know, the primary grades are kind of out of the crosshairs. But, boy, there's pressure to make sure that kids, you know, we want to make sure that they are on grade level by third grade. So when they're confronting this this new realm of assessment, that they are ready and that they're not going to be all intimidated by this. Exactly. So we're really working yeah. on volume principle. Reading works on the volume principle, too. The more you read, the better you read. Yeah. So you've got the STAR, mm-hmm. which is the ultimate exam assessment we're all measured by kids. But throughout the school year in reading, districts can choose from a variety of different other assessments that help kind of give you an idea of where a kid is at any given point in the school year. Correct. That's correct. And without getting into products, and we won't, we won't do that, but, but every district has one from a company. And this com- these mm-hmm. companies typically align their questions to the best of their ability with grade level appropriateness, which is what we all yes. strive for, right? Correct. Yes. What are we seeing, at least in A-Leaf, what are we seeing with kids performing on this other assessment and that other assessment being when us being told that there's anywhere from a 90 to 95% accuracy of predictability about whether a child's going to be okay on the star test or not how is that adding to the confusion or is it adding to the confusion or maybe or let me back up talk about that just a little bit just talk about how we use other assessments for those who are listening this is going to get really complicated if it hasn't <laughs> if we haven't already lost you <laughs> but there but it's more than just the teacher giving his or her te- class a test. It's a formal way of doing it. What is that used for? What's that other assessment used for? And how much do we rely on that to make decisions? And any one of you three can can take a stab at that. I think when we're looking at, at other assessments, you want to look at the kinds of skills that are being att- assessed. You know, start kind of goes for an overall reading. This is where we think this child is. But more diagnostic tests can give you, um, for example, for younger kids, if there's letter knowledge involved or phonemic awareness or uh, decoding, comprehension, vocabulary, fluency. I mean, it's a very, reading is a very complex What's decoding? Test. In reading, what's decoding mean? Uh, that means cracking the code, figuring out how those words, how those le- words and letters go together. You know, we're in, in English is a very complex language to learn to read. Yeah. We have 26 letters, 44 sounds. Spanish has 26, 27 letters and about 26 sounds. So English is just inherently more complex because we're a mashup of Anglo-Saxon, Greek, Roman. I mean, we're, we're just a mashup. I of, told y'all was going to get complicated. Of, of a lot of, <laughs> but, it, but it is, and but it has to be very specifically taught. And that's really what we're trying to do, particularly in those primary grades is, man, you've got to crack the code. 
and then you can chew through the text more quickly or quickly enough so you can get to the ideas. So those other tests that we're talking about help us to do that. It um, helps us crack the code. or teach. It helps us to see where kids are right. yeah. on that spectrum. If there's a vocabulary deficit or if there's a fluency a deficit, mean, it can pinpoint a bit more specifically. And you typically those tests are adaptive. And so what that means is that um, the kid, the student is uh, given a test. It might be um, computerized. And so the test adjusts to the, to the skill level of that student as they read. So um, it looks at how many correct answers the kid gives. And then once they start making incorrect choices, then it readjusts to get to that comfort level of the kid. So that. Um, so is it getting to the independent level or the instructional level? What's it attempting to do when it does that? It's more of the independent level. And then the instruction piece comes when we see what the deficits are. So um, instruction is geared to around those pieces that are missing. So, so a lot of the decisions being made by the teacher and by folks like you guys is in response to that other assessment is based upon the independent slash instructional, instructional level, level trying to get right. in there. Yes. And we and we and I'm not putting words in your mouth, but the, the, the belief based on a lot of research and a lot of experts is that the star test questions, the passages they're asking kids to read are somewhere between high, high um, instructional level and frustration level. Yeah. If not a lot of frustration level. And that differs for every child. Yeah. Yeah, each child is, yeah, their frustration right. level is different from, yeah, exactly. Different child to child. Yes. Uh, and, yeah. and many of these other uh, assessment tools, they're nationally normed. So that means they're comparing third graders from across the state of Texas, or the, 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 the sorry, the, across the nation, not, not just Texas, right. um, in all grades. So I think national, nationally normed uh, assessments, I think, have um, strong validity and reliability. Because those, because Texas kids are a part of that national. Yes, they are. Yes, Texas still is a part of the United States. Sometimes we don't want to be, but we are part of the United States. All right. Well, and I guess the point I was, the point I'm that y'all are making is that that on in Texas, part of the complexity is self-inflicted, which it appears to me. I'm not putting words in your mouth that we're creating this complex (laughs) situation. And it's already complex. It's already complex yes. to begin with. Without and us making, making it more, it complex, more complex, right? <laughs> and we're doing that. We're trying to put us maybe trying to, and then the output we're trying to make simple, but it's just not, it's just not a simple, uh, you know, number. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, it, it baffles goes. me. It baffles me. So in an ideal situation, in an ideal reading environment, if time, and none of this is going to be reality, but just think for one second. In an ideal environment, in an ideal situation, what would an assessment to really determine where kids are, who needs help, who's doing just fine, who's who's really excelling in this, what what type of assessment would you or a battery of assessments or what would that look like in your in your opinions, if not star? Well, I think um 
the variety of text that we give to kids, I think, is, is an important thing. Kids have to have a rich diet of different genres and different kinds of text, but also within sort of a reliable re- readability measure of some sort. And that's where we were mentioning a little earlier about this the, the term lexile, which you right. see now tacked onto um, the STAR assessments. And um, the lexile framework is basically saying, and it's really designed to match books with kids' reading ability. That's the, that's the perfect part of this whole thing. Is that if my if my range is from you know 500 to 750 lexile range based on again um, this the other assessments then here is a whole bunch of books that we will fill you right there that will be right kind of in that in that uh, independent but instructional area because remember if a kid is really interested in a topic they will bite on trying to read something a bit more challenging about that topic. Absolutely. Right. You know, like you see all the little kids, they can say and pronounce and read every dinosaur book that there is out there because of the, of the interest. So text uh, variety often uh, relies to an interest of the kid. Absolutely. Yes. And with that comes that uh, scaffolding piece because if you're – When you say scaffolding, you've, what does that mean? The teacher has to do – has to put in some um, instructional strategies to be able to get kids through that piece of text. For example – Karen was talking about close reading Mm -hmm. before, just layering it. This is what we're going to focus on this time. We're just going to focus on understanding the gist of the text. Then the next level is how did the author use uh, specific vocabulary to get his thoughts across to the reader? And then maybe in the third read, it's something more inferential. Um, You know, the reader can conclude that based on what he's read, this is the outcome. So those kinds of scaffolding pieces um, to, yeah, to kinda, help that. Kind of going that, back that. to giving kids an opportunity to read both at their independent reading level, but always trying to push them into more complex text mm-hmm. and giving them the tools that they need to, to break that down and crack the code. Crack the mm-hmm. code. Crack yes. the code. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, a, there's like 14 different, and I don't know if it's 14, but there's a lot of different descriptors of defining being able to read. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not just sit down and, and crack the code and be able to put together, okay, A-N-D means and. That's and. You also have to know what that means. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's all these layers of, mm-hmm. I keep using the word complexity. I don't know what else to say. But there's all <laughs> these layers of things Sure. Uh, yes. That it goes into teaching reading. Sure. We have to teach kids to read between the lines, lines. and to read what is un, what is uh, not said in the passage. So it really is about yeah. those deeper those uh, deeper levels of meaning than just what you it, read. It on is, the and relying on text evidence, not just you know your background knowledge. That's important to bring that to the text piece, but. You have to be able to support your thoughts with what the author is trying to say in that piece of text. Yeah, there are new uh, standards. The standards one time ago were also, for the first time, it's it's not really what you think so much as the reader. It's what is the author saying. And that has been underlined again in our new standards. So you have to predict or read into what the author is saying? You have That's to, correct. You have to kind of unearth what the author, what's his big idea here? What is he, after I'm done reading this, what how, what have I taken away as the big idea from this really? text? Yeah. Yes. Even little kids. It's like, it's like listening to a song that you like the song, but you have no idea what the song is. <laughs> exactly. you, you, think, you think they're singing about this. Oh, you and do that really, too. I've done that. And, they, so many and times. then they come out and they tell you what the motive behind the song was. And you go, that's, right? not what, no that's not what I thought. <laughs> 
think about reading poetry. Oh my God! That is another so, layer of complexity. Yes, it is. So <laughs> can you can you just briefly? How do you teach that? How how do you teach someone to try to figure out how H. D. Chambers writes? God help us all if you tried to figure that out. But <laughs> seriously, how do you? What what are actual teaching skill? What skills are you teaching a child to try to figure out what someone else is trying to? So it's um, unpacking those literary devices, um, imagery, um, figurative language, mood, tone, vocabulary, and just as it as contextually as it applies to the text. What are those clues trying to tell you as a reader? We teach kids to revisit a text multiple times for different purposes. And so the first time, of course, is always to understand. But then when we revisit again, we have to consider the author's purpose and uh, the way that it was structured and all of, as Michelle said, the, the, the literary. Uh, so is there, somewhere where, is there somewhere in these passages where the author tells you what he or she's thinking? How do we know? Does someone ask them? Like, does someone go and ask? Like the Michelle author? said, you got to find the evidence, right? And 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 that is <laughs> in itself evidence. in itself presents a problem on the test. Yeah. Because if I'm saying you need to rely on those clues, sometimes those clues aren't it just doesn't add up to just one choice. You see, and um, as long as you can prove, okay, the reason why I said this is because the author used that word, the author used this device. And it is throughout the text. Now, if I ask a question about that poem on the test, they might be two answers that could fit the bill. Uh, so it's even more complex because now you have to teach a child to determine which one is the better answer. Even though those two things might be, might be right. right and you can prove it, which one would be the best choice? And sometimes that's a hurdle to even for teachers to break down to kids. And to complicate matters more, we also ask them to read multiple texts on uh, uh, one idea and to uh, help them learn how to develop their own ideas and opinions about text and to be able to argue that back out to the world. If we use the word com- complex one more time, <laughs> my head's going to explode. <laughs> but but I, I, I find it very uh, almost incomprehensible how we could ask anyone, much less a kid, to read the mind of a author or a poet on a passage and predict what he or she was intending to say when we don't have the answer, when I say we, whoever's creating the test, we don't even have the answer to that from the actual person who wrote the passage. <laughs> this is very interesting, Mr. Chambers, that you should say that because it, there was an article in the Washington Post uh, in January of 2017, and they quoted uh, uh, an author by the name of Sarah Holbrook, and they used one of her poems on a star reading passage. And she, uh, once she looked at that, uh, that release test, she said that she could not answer the questions on her own poem. You're kidding. And I'm going to give you that article. So this is the this is the poet oh, who wrote the poem. Poet. The who poet. wrote the poem. And the star had some questions about the poem, the poem. And she couldn't even answer the questions. She could not. And she wrote the poem. Exactly. So it just tell this is that's just this one is very example. complex. Yes. Well it's complex and that's just wrong. <laughs> that's not being wrong isn't complicated. That's wrong. Okay. It can get a little tricky. All yeah. right, all right, so. all right. Well don't get me. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna kind of slowly um, kind of wrap this up. 
I know this is sound, this sounds crazy, but this is this is fascinating to me. It's fascinating and it is it's it's frustrating. You know, my frustration level is I and as I've said and I've attempted to say, and I want to be very clear that the, all four of us, the three of you and everyone else, this is not a um, an attempt to in, indict or imply anything anyone is doing anything wrong. But it sure. It's, if, if there's anyone doing anything wrong, it sure seems like they're not listening. Whoever's writing these test questions are not listening to the right people. And they, they may be talking to someone. I don't know who they're talking to. There's been a claim that they brought in teachers to help identify what's age-appropriate, grade-appropriate questions. I don't know who they are. I don't know who those teachers are. It'd be interesting to talk to them. And yeah, it just seems in the field that we're, we're just we have more questions right now than answers, than answers. and we're just seeking uh, to. Yeah. Seems to, it seems to me that somehow um, the child's been left out of this whole discussion because, again, you are a child. You're 8, 9, 10, right. 11, and you know, you're reading questions that are written by adults who have a higher level of thinking ability just because they are, they've figured out how the you – know, when you're still yeah. a child, you're figuring out how the world works. Yeah. And so you do not have the probably the mental sophistication to logically deduce where the exact – Argument of the author is when you're eight. Let me ask you this, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna nine. And it just kind of struck me as we were talking earlier about the outliers. Like there are some children who who are able to. What What are some of the characteristics of a child, a student, who might be an outlier, short of cognitive abilities that perhaps they're more mature, they're more, they've been exposed to more things. But what are are there characteristics that could explain for those who would be, who would rebut what I'm saying or what we're saying and say, well, these other kids are doing it. They're performing at these levels. They're they're able to decode and unpackage and make their way through the minutia of the complexity and answer the questions correctly. What is our response to that? Or what, what are the characteristics of those students that may not be a common characteristic across the, the third grade population as a whole? It seems to me that if we're um, looking at outliers, maybe a campus or a school or a district or then I think there's some different systems and structures in place there where there, maybe the teacher-student ratio is really much smaller. Maybe there's a lot of time spent even more on professional development of working with very highly skilled teachers, working with very specific kids of, uh, kinds of, of students. Um, but they probably have a very strategic say, this is how we're going to do it, and very linear and systematic. I just think there are some other ways to – there are just other systems and probably more money going do, into do some Do you of think those systems you're defining – and I would agree with you, there's probably – that's probably part of the answer to mm-hmm. the question. But are those systems more, quote, unquote, test driven? In other words, if it's if it's linear and we are all focused on the same thing, then we're all focused on making sure this child passes this test. There are districts um, that we know are very much focused on on testing. Not that we don't do um we do our fair share of We testing. do, uh, yeah. yes, yeah. but not in the same way. Mm-hmm. It's in some districts, test preparation, for lack of a better word, is from day one. It's the driver. And it's the driver. And right. that's that's what they push. And so. Is it fair to say we don't, and y'all can be just completely honest. Is it fair to say that we don't use STAR or the test as a driver of our behaviors? We do to some degree. Okay, so we okay. we do to some degree, but we are uh, we are believers in authentic literacy and uh, bringing best practices uh, best practices to yeah. the students. And we know that the number one indicator of academic success for our students is the amount of time they spend reading. 
That is the number one indicator of success. And so if we're not putting books and authentic literacy experiences in front of kids, then we're not doing right by kids. And and that's really um, our priority. So let me ask you this. By doing, using authentic literacy, authentic reading, putting books in front of kids, getting them to read, doing what we whatever a district or school could do to get books in the home mm-hmm. of children. Absolutely. Does that, does those behaviors align with STAR? I mean, should we, let's say we were doing all that perfectly. Yes. I, I think it should align with STAR. But does it? But I don't think it does. And here's why. We have to go back to science. The brain develops when it develops. And so, you know, yes, we are doing um you know, the best practices or imp- right. implementing the best practices. Right. But that takes time. And again, for some kids, the brain is, is probably more developed because of, you know, what happened yeah. at birth. Right. There's a to yeah, that. Sure. Right. But, you know, if we're looking at testing and being fair and looking at age and appropriateness, I think in time we'll, we will see um i would say marginal in, increase in in um performance and we do believe in early literacy and we know that mm-hmm. that makes a difference uh, we have to get started earlier with the kids so who last, don't have the resources I, I, yep. I agree with you yep. and we tried to put a spotlight on that and do the best we can to to support that and we'll continue doing it i'm going to we're going to end this real quick with a quick question so right now if you looked across the state of texas uh based on 2018 Star reading performance, um, roughly 42 to 43 percent of our students scored in the meets master's range, which by the state's definition is reading on grade level. Right. (laughs) Simple yes or no. Do you think that you think knowing all you know and all that you've looked at, is that 43, 40 to 43 percent number accurate? Do you think it's too high? Do you think it's. I have questions. You have questions. You, You question that. I do too. We know we we ha- we we have a lot of work to do. Oh, we yeah. do, but I question. Yeah, there's no one implying that we've got this sure. figured out. I I want to say, and I'm going to be brave enough to say it. I think our kids are um, much more on grade level than we're seeing on on these tests. I would agree. Okay, fair enough. Ladies, thank you very much. Is there anything you want to say? You want to say hi, Mom, or (laughs) hi, kids, or whatever? I appreciate the opportunity to uh, participate in this discussion. This was wonderful. Thank you for inviting us. You bet. It's it's obviously timely, but it shouldn't take an article being written or some quotes being quoted or some just questions. It shouldn't take all that to get this issue to the forefront of a conversation. And it's unfortunate, but that's the world we live in. So we're, we're doing that. Uh, but I want to personally publicly on this, at least on this broadcast, thank you guys, along with all of the folks who helped support you. I know that, that y'all been doing this a long time, and it just seems like over the last couple of years from early childhood, Karen, it's now become why it's taken so long. I don't know, but it's just become and someone just woke up one day and said, well, you know, we better teach these little guys how to read or we're all in trouble. <laughs> And we and we started putting a, a shining a light on it. So, um, but thank you, sincerely, from our school board and from uh, from myself, and more importantly, from the kids and the the society that we're preparing them to enter into, for everything you guys are doing, and for standing up and saying what what's on your mind and what you believe, and that's appreciated. 
And most people who don't know any of these ladies, Karen, the soft-spoken lady down here, <laughs> has announced she's retiring. So we're gonna we're gonna have a void in our early childhood reading program that we're gonna have to figure we got out. Got a lot of good people we can fill. I know we I've, do. Been, been, I've been raising a bunch of good people. So <laughs> we're good. We're good. That's well, good. thank you guys again. Well, thank okay. You. Thank y'all. Thank you. Thank you. This has been Impact Ed. I'm H.D. Chambers with ALEAF ISD, and, and we appreciate everyone joining uh, and listening to this episode on such an important critical topic. Take care. This has been an AMP production.